open up your Bibles, please. Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. I'll give you one book. Um, you know me, I do not give out many books and references. Um, I only, only talk about the 66 books. Uh, but I'll give you a book if you're uh, one of those avid readers. Uh, it's by Henry Morse. It's called The Genesis Record. Um, so I highly encourage you, if you haven't put that on your bookshelf to read, um, it, he is well-renowned taking uh, the, 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 what we're going to talk about today and really goes down into details of how the, the nations are spread throughout the world and, and everything. So I encourage you, the Genesis record um, by Henry Morse. Now, we have learned one thing over the last part. We've talked about the creation, chapters 1 and 2. We talked about the fall of man, chapters 3 and 4. We talked about the flood, getting into this next uh, several chapters. And we're getting to now where we um, they came off the ark. They're starting to populate um, the world. But we see here in Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. So the flood is over. Population is starting to gain back again through these three sons, just as God had said it would happen. He had to start over with a righteous man, Noah, who was obedient by faith to live according to God's word in his direction. And his sons and their wives and his wife, Noah's wife, came off that ark. And we'll see here in chapters 10 and 11, we come to know what they call the table of nations. The beginning point in an understanding of world history and anthropology. In chapter 10, we were explains how the earth was repopulated by the descendants of these three sons. And you will find that, that same account in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. And you've, most of you have studied the, one of your favorite books, Chronicles. 1 Chronicles, I'm sure it's one of your favorites. Uh, you'll find that you can see the same. Uh, it, they're not exactly, but they go pretty much uh, uh, in line with what we will see today. But we need to give you a few cautions as you study chapters 10 and 11 and you're thinking about how you look at the scriptures. I want you to give you three key points to take away in your further studies outside of this Sunday. And is that when you look at these things, consider this, that this is not just a normal genealogy given to us here in chapters 10 and 11. But it's also, you know, just a genealogy of names. But it also provides to us some history and atlas reference points in your study. The second thing I want you to know is that this listing isn't complete. It doesn't name all the nations. It doesn't name all the key figures as we go. Have you studied through the entire um, scriptures and you've gone through all 66 books? You know there's some key nations uh, um, uh, that were Moab and Ammon and Edom that were not mentioned in the biblical history of nations as you studied the Old Testament into the New. And thirdly, it's difficult to identify some of these nations and give them modern names since over the centuries they've been modified and changed and moved and all kinds of things have happened within these nations. 
So today is not about can the pastor pronounce the names of these places and where they all are today in modern language and names. Don't, don't get wrapped up into that piece of it. Understand the, the kind of the, the, the message that God has for you in regards to how God moves and instructs nations, peoples, and where we have come from. It's, again, it starts with Adam and Eve. And we know then it's, it's, it's really narrowed down to this family of Noah and his family. And then it gets narrowed down to his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And as we go through these two chapters, and if you know your genealogy, if you know where your roots are from primarily, you will know which, which son are you coming from. Most of us here today is coming from the line of Japheth, Gentiles. Some of you might be part of the Shem, might be part of Ham. But all of us are connected to the same family. We're one blood. We're mankind. And, and if you think outside of that, then you've missed the understanding of the word of God and understand how you're created and who created you. And as we also take a look at this and we see that these, yes, these nations' names have changed, their, mo their move of locations, they were modified, the racial composition of tribes, intermarriage, and all these things that can take place. But even the experts today with the ability to do DNA samples and, and language sampling and linguistics and everything else, all of even the non-believing scientists come to the same conclusion that God says, and we know the truth, that we all came from one language, we all come from the same blood, we all come from the same family, we all come from the same origin. It shouldn't be a surprise. We didn't have to spend millions and billions of dollars to study that. We know what the word of God is and says, and we know it's true. So it's very simple to keep that as a foundation in your life because people, as young people grow up, they're still trying to identify what's the purpose of life and how did I come about and all these big questions, even right up to a, someone I just met not too long ago who is over 80 years old and still wondering what was the purpose of life. It's sad to me that you'd live your whole life not knowing the plan that God has for your life and where you came from and where you're going. That is really saddening. That's why we must know the truth and we must be sharing the truth and we must be encouraging those in that truth. Now, the other thing we've been watching and seeing as we study these last nine chapters, and we'll see it again today in chapters 10, 11, we have seen how sin can separate. We can see how sin can separate a family. You can see the destruction right there in Adam and Eve. His older brother taken out or his younger brother. And, and just the tragic of losing Abel because of the sin of his brother's parents. But then we moved on in those, out of those chapter, first couple of chapters and we see that not only sin separates and destroys a family, or, uh, yeah, family, it can destroy um, a community. You can see the population as a whole became so unraveled that evil reigned in the world. And out of all the people, there was only one man righteous, Noah. And you can see then 
Now, today, we'll see how even nations are divided because of sin, because of pride, because of power. And we will see that destroys even nations and separates those nations. And it starts off here in verse 1 as we see the sons of Noah. Verse 2 says, sons of Japheth, who's the older brother, were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. Now, if you take a look at this, and I'm going to highlight some of these names, and others we won't highlight because they're not really significant in regards to the point I believe God is making. We see that here, the Japheth is the father of what we refer to as the Indo-European peoples that stretches from India to the shores of Western Europe. So if you visualize that map and you can see and visualize it and where India starts and moves away all the way across into the western farthest part of when you hit the ocean of the Europe, that is where the Gentile nation or nations of Japheth settled. And you can see that he had... Uh, several sons there, um, and uh, we can see here Gomer, which we know today and pretty solid and pretty confirmed that is present-day Germany. The Germanic people is there, Gomer, and settled there in that part of the region. So if you have German blood, as we know some have, very clear, you know where you started there under the son of Gomer. There's not a question in your mind. Now, if you look at Magog and Tubal and Meshech, this is the far north of Europe and became what we refer to as the Russian peoples. We see Magog, we see that is a very significant person in that area, that nation, because we will see it play very clearly in even modern day prophecy fulfilling today. Because God says, and we see in the scriptures in Ezekiel, we see there in 37, 38, and 39, we see this nation is going to be playing, this tribe, this nation this from this, this son, um, uh, Magog, will be the Russian that will be pulled as God puts a hook in the jaw and brings them down to go against the nation of Israel. As we see it all playing out in the news today. If anyone denies the understanding, the fulfillment of some of the prophecy already in Ezekiel 37, and we're watching 38 and 39 play out in modern day in the news today, you, you, you really need to spend some time with us, and we need to help you through Ezekiel if you have not studied that, and Daniel 7, and, and in Revelation. We want to spend some time with you because you're missing an understanding that God is coming back for his church very, very soon. Amen? Are you trust, you, you got to trust the word of God. Because it is playing out to a T exactly what God said would do. And, go, and Magog is one of those key. Now, Meshach, if you, if you know the original language, it means Moscow. And so that, uh, you can see, played out in those, those three sons. Madai is what we see the ancient Medes today. It is who populated, we refer to as Iran. And see, we, so we see this, this is the reason why as we study here, Iraq and Iran are always at odds historically 
And you always wonder why they're historically at odds. It's because they come from two different of the Sun tribes. The Iraq people are Arabs and from the descendants of Shem. And Iran is the peopled, uh, uh, peopled by Persians, and they're the descendants of Japheth. And so you can see a lot of the turmoil between those two original sun tribes, nations splitting off there. Javan is present-day Greece, and we see the reference to those seafaring ways that was described, uh, and we will see in uh, chapter 10, verse 5. And Tyrus is what we believe today is modern Italy. So that's where the Italians come from, from that sun uh, right there. Now we see in verse 3, the sons of Gomer uh, had three here, Ashkenaz, uh, uh, Ripath, and then uh, Togama. So Ashkenaz is the son of Gomer who came from the people who studied, uh, settled on the eastern side of Germany or the eastern part of, the, of Europe and the northern part of Judea in the region that we call the Fertile Crescent today. And uh, Togama is the uh, Armenians that we see today or the southern part of Europe as well. We go in here in verses 4 and 5, we see that the sons of Javan or the, we refer to as the ancient Greeks. And we it were uh, Elisha, Tarshish, uh, Kittim, uh, Dodaman. You might see in your version of your Bible, the roads of the Rodaman. Uh, in verse 5, from these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, and everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. So as we will see here in chapter 10 and we look at chapter 11, we're going to see not a chronological movement through Genesis. We're going to see a literature movement, and that is we're seeing something that has um, that will uh, explain what that means here in verse 5, the, 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 the separation of the lands and the separation of language and families. We're going to see this played out in chapter 11 as we read chapter 11, which is the Tower of uh, Babel, and we will see where God separates it. We're actually seeing it play out in detail here in chapter 10, but we'll describe what happened in this separation in chapter 11 when we get there. But the sons of Javan were geographic names that spring from these names in these chapters. Tarshish is the biggest one I'm going to highlight here. It is believed and strongly believed, and I strongly believe it is the British Isles or England today. Some believe it's Spain, um, but I lean toward England because it was referred to as the outermost part of the known world at that time. And as we take a look at the studies of that and, uh, and, uh, and some historical references that are out there today, it, it brings back to a memory of a, um, a certain prophet um, uh, intended to run away to Tarshish, if you remember. And that little, that, that little uh, prophet tried to run away to Tarshish on the outermost part of the world to get away from what God was calling him to do, but he had a whale of a time trying to get there, was, didn't he? Uh, yes, that was a, a fun I, I don't give them money, but that was the first one that came to my mind here as I was thinking about this. But look how well that helped him trying to run away from God's calling. Didn't, didn't end well, did it? God got his way. It was rough for him, but he, he, God took him where he was going to go. And then we see here, that's the, the, the descendants of uh, Japheth. Now here in verses 6 through 20, we see the descendants of Ham. 
We see here that the sons of Ham were Cush, uh, Misram, Put, and Canaan. So Ham, the descendants of Ham, the Hamic or Hamitic people, or the people who populated the far east and northern part of Africa, but mostly across the Middle East. And we see Cush is this first son here. Apparently, this family was divided into two branches very early on. And some founded Babylon, notably as we get to the verses talking about Nimrod, and the others founded Ethiopia area. The Misram, this is another way the Bible refers to as Egypt, or in the upper and the lower part of Egypt for this uh, settlement of this, of this son. Put refers to Libya, the, the, the region of the North African west of, of Egypt. And then Canaan refers to the people who originally settled the land we today refer to as Israel and its surrounding regions. So we can see very clearly here in these verses of, of 6. And, uh, and we look here in verse 7. The sons of Cush was Seba, uh, uh, Havilah, Sabbat, uh, Sabta, Rama, uh, Sabteca, the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan, which is very clear today in Saudi Arabia. Those are very clear uh, indications where they are. Cush begot Nimrod. So if you notice the language here, this is the first where we start seeing the begot word, meaning Cush. Cush had this son Nimrod. And we make note here because of the change in the language here, we draw our attention to this because obviously it's very, very important that instead of just naming the sons, he now names and talks about this grandson or the son of a son. And it says, Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, uh, uh, Echrod, and uh, uh, Kalineth, and in the land of Shinar, or Sinar. From that land we went to Assyria and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth, Er, and, and Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. This is the principal city. So here in verses 7 through 12, we see some key verses, I uh, see key names and key places. The main thing we want to talk about, hey, one of the things, is that Sheba and, and Dedan is present-day Saudi Arabia. And these two will come up again in Scripture, especially in relationship to Ezekiel 38 and the prophecy of end times. We also see here Cush begot Nimrod, one of his sons. And it's the fact that he says, we see here God is saying to us very clearly that this is a mighty one on the earth. But not in a good way. He ruled Babel, which was the first organized rebellion of the humans against God. The name Nimrod itself means let us rebel. And so we see here in the Jerusalem Targum, in that reference, in that, that, uh, that uh, historical piece, he says he was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. For he was a hunter of the sons of men, and he said to them, Depart from the judgment of God and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Therefore it is said, As Nimrod the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. 
We also see another reference out of, out of a book called Boints that says this is not talking about Nimrod's ability to hunt wild game. He was a, not a hunter of animals. He was a hunter of men. He was a warrior. It was through his ability to fight and kill and rule ruthlessly that his kingdom of the Euphrates Valley city states was consolidated. So here is a man who his, uh, had a heart was so um, against God that he turned on his fellow man and he looked to be through power and through might to bring everyone under control under his, his heavy hands. So Nimrod was not only founded Babylon, but he also is the founder and father of the Assyrian Empire whose capital was Nineveh here. And it was the Syrians, if you remember, who carried away the ten northern tribes of Israel into captivity in 722 B.C. And it was the Babylonians who destroyed Jerusalem in 136 years later on 50, uh, 586 B.C. So here we can see where some key words in Nineveh, and if you remember, where Jonah was brought back to, God wanted to bring the, the gospel message to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, to that this, this wicked city to repent. And what happened? He went into that city, and what happened to all the people? They did repent. They did recognize, and they did believe. And they saw that even though even hit, Jonah didn't want it to happen, and he went into the outside on the, on the hill and looked down and still was not happy the fact that God was so gracious to even look to do something with this wicked nation that we now know Nimrod was part of that spirit of Nimrod uh, that was sweeping that part of the, of the area. But if you look at these um, verses and you look at these different names, these were not just individual little cities. These were really a capturing of a, a, a metropolis and forming a city of a huge city, a geographical area to bring all these into power. It's like, you know, you go to, to New York City and you go, New York City. And, but you think of that, it's made up of very prominent areas of Brooklyn, the Bronx, the Manhattan, and the Staten Island, and the, the Queens. That's what it was like here. It was making this massive control of, of many, many people at that point in time. And we see out of that, Nineveh, of course, being one of the key places, and, and Babel was the other king uh, kingdom that was, uh, is going to be highlighted here as we continue. Now, so as we know historically, some of the key things. In verse 13, uh, Misram begot Ludim, Anamim, uh, Lehabim, uh, Naptuum, uh, pat, uh, pathrusum and whatever, whatever, and keeps going. At the very end, your key, a key word you want to see is fa uh, the Philistines. And if you remember the word Philistines, what brings that to memory very quickly? More likely you think of uh, Goliath coming from that tribes. In verse 15, we see Canaan begot Sidon, or the Phoenicians, that's who they are, his firstborn, and Heath, where we get the Hittites that we refer to throughout the scriptures, the Jebusites, the Amorite, the Gergesites, the Hippite, the Archite, the, the Sinite, and the Sinites, make a note, are the Oriental people. 
That's the Oriental peoples that come from that, Japan and China and all those are. That's that tribe that comes from that sun there. Verse 18, Arvadite, Zamorite, Hemorite, I'm not, Hemathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, or southern Lebanon, as you go to Gerar, or as far as Gaza, and we refer to in the modern day today, we hear the Gaza Strip. That's very controversial. Then as you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zebulun, as far as Lasha, we see that here in these verses 15 through 19, we see some key, key things here. But know that the sons of Canaan went north and in related to all the that Hittites and Lebanese and all that structure there that we know of today. Verse 20, we end here on Ham's that says, There or these were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their language, and their lands, and in their nations. Lots of names, lots, lots of places. But notice here, as we go especially into chapter 11, that these two brothers' lineage is limited and abbreviated. They do not highlight their entire family tree. They're only highlighting for us to understand the first part of the, of the generations or their offsprings, we know it by far it was greater than that. But for the emphasis here, as God works through the historical book here called the Bible, and, and it's, I say it not as a Bible, as a, history, a historical book in itself, but it does provide some key history and information for us of how God works. Because it's all about the Redeemer. It's all about the Savior. It's all about the one who came to pay the penalty for the sin of the world to be set you free from that sin. And so he starts from this family and he's working through as we look and work through our book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're going to see here we start in a big picture. We saw a big world. God had to intervene and bring it down so it highlights down to just Noah and his family. And then it brings it down to his three sons. And, and as we move into chapter 11, you're going to see the two sons no longer talked about. It comes down to Shem and his lineage. Why? Because we see in, as we move into chapter 11, it's going to be about Abraham. And from Abraham brings the lineage of the Savior, Jesus Christ. God is helping us funnel in our, our focus and moment down to what is important, and that is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah that God promised back in the very beginning when he said he will bring the uh, seed through the woman that will crush the serpent's head. And that's what he's doing. Now we see here two of the brothers talked about. Yes, those are very important because they play huge in God's role and he uses these people, these tribes to you bring judgment upon the Hebrew people, the Israelites. He uses them in the future to bring judgment. But it could see how this plays out. But we're going to see the rest of this time here in chapter 10, 11. It's about Shem and his descendants and more importantly, bringing it down to Abram as we will see. So now here in verses 21 through 31, the descendants of Shem and the children were born also of Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, 
And the sons of Shem were Elam, or we refer to as the Persia or Iran, and Ashur, or, and, or, and um, uh, Arpax, and Lug, and Aram. So here we see in this, these just two verses here that Shem comes Elam, who was an ancestor to the Persian peoples, and Ashur, who was the father of the Assyrians, and Lug was the father of the Lydians who lived at the time in Asia Minor. And Aram was the father of the Armenians, or where we get the Aramaic uh, language. Remember in the Old Testament, they have the Aramaic language or that the Jews used to communicate. That came from the Armenian uh, line right here, who we also know as the Syrians. And then we have Arpax uh, Ar was the ancestor to Abram and the Hebrews. Verse 23, the sons of Aram was Uz and Hol and Gether and Mass. Uz, key uh, uh, brother here, was the region of Arabia, was named after the son of Aram. Job came from the land of Uz. We see that in Job 1.1, and you can reference that as important because we will see uh, Job. If you haven't studied the book of Job, we will eventually will get there to the book of Job, but that is to believe to be uh, the oldest uh, book of the 66 books, and we will see how this plays out here in the lineage of genealogy as well, where Job is placed, we believe. Verse 24, the Arpaxed uh, begot Selah, Selah begot Eber, which again is the Hebrew line. Uh, to Eber were born two sons. The, the name of one uh, was Peleg, which is another important thing here. And why is that? Because for in his days the earth was divided. And so many believe, at that verse right there, many commentators, many people believe there was a change that took place here uh, at the Tower of Babel where this, where Peleg, it, his name means division or divided. They believe the earth was, the land mass was still very well connected, has some kind of bridges that connected some of the masses of lands. And when people were dispersed or divided, this is when the earth was divided and more separation of land. Once the people moved into these areas, the land moved. There was another um, movement of the land in regards to shifting of the, the, of the masses so that it's separated we see today. And some people always ask the question, well, how did the American Indians get there? Well, because they were part of the tribes here. And then we had this division of, this, of the earth was divided, and there was a separation, that, and water separated the land masses, and land masses moved. And so we have, once the movement and the separation took place after the Tower of Babel, uh, Babel then we can see how even the southern, um, uh, southern countries you can see the um, Mexico and even in the even further south uh, of that area, you can see historically they are all consistent with the same message of the flood. They see the same message of the movement of the tribe and the people in their histor history and, and documentation uh, that they did on, the, on rocks and, and other methods of communication or catching the historical purposes. So we see that. You can go back into studies further and further of that. Again, I gave you a reference of a book in the beginning 
uh, that would uh, be a good read for you through the winter if it gets really cold and snowy and you can't get out and you have a good read there. You, there you go. You, you have your winter book to, to, to focus on. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Alamod, uh, Almoda. Uh, goes all the way through here. So you see all these names here. <clears throat> but in verse 29, I want to see the one named of Jobab. Many believe that was referring to Job. That is where Job is, is, is lineage and where he comes from is right there. And all these were the sons of Joktan, and their dwelling place was Mesa, as you go into Sephar, the mountains of the east. So as we take a look at this, we know that Jobab or Job, being one of the key characters in the Old Testament, and, uh, and, and teaches many, many lessons uh, as, as he is a very faithful man and uh, obedient to God. As, as, as you study the, that scripture, you, you know that to be true. Uh, in, ch in chapter 10, verses 31 and 32, we end here with, These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their language and their lands, according to their nations. And these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on earth after the flood. Now, as we move here into the next section, chapter 11, we talk about the Tower of Babel. And we see that here in verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Sinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Here we see disobedience to what God said needed to happen. God said that when he was going to repopulate the, after Noah and his family come off the ark, you were to populate and cover the whole earth. You weren't to say in one place, you were to move out and cover the land. And as they populated here, you see the same spirit that we see today. No surprise that the whole earth had one language and one speech. That's not a surprise. They all came from the same family. There was no, no, no question in anyone's mind that they were all talking clearly and communicating and exactly what was supposed to take place. They were figuring out how they're going to you know, work the land and be farmers and take care of the animals and figure out the new norm because everything in their life had went upside down and changed in them within that 377 days on that ark. Land change, weather change, everything changed in their life. And we see that they came to pass as they journeyed from the east. And if you, in some of your Bibles may say eastwardly, as they moved eastwardly from where they settled, uh, the ark settled there, uh, that they found a plain, uh, something a little bit, instead of on the rocks and on the uh, Arafat and the mountaintops, they came down and moved east to, to, a, to a plain to work. And they dwelt there and they said to one another, Here's, he, 
here's the challenge that you and I face today that they, we see from the very beginning of time. They and you and I today talk to ourselves too much. So many times people, I say, well, what does the Lord show you? Oh, I'm, sh I'm sure he's showing me this. And really when they stop and really think about it, you're just talking to yourself. You're just having these conversations in your mind. You think you're talking to God, but you're really not talking to God. You're really just talking to yourself and trying to figure it out and rationalize whatever it is the subject matter that you have in your head. And here, there they are talking to one another. They're talking to themselves. They're not talking to God here. They're leaning on their own understanding. They're talking among themselves versus going to God and saying, God, what do you want us to do? But he already gave direction. He already, Shem was already all the way through. We see in the scriptures all the way through. It's not like they said, oh, you know, I don't know what you know, Shem meant. I don't know what Noah meant. I don't know what even Adam meant. No, we know historically all that covered across historically and knowing exactly what God asked him to do. But here they just choose to, to, they just, just said to one another, come, let us make bricks. And bake them thoroughly. Why? Because they were going to build something for themselves. They were going to do something that they knew clearly was against the word of God. And they said they're going to do this. And we see again asphalt for mortar. And if you remember historically, the Rockefellers read this in the scriptures. And they saw this and they said, if there's asphalt, that means there's oil. Let's go. And they made huge wealth, most of their wealth from that Middle East, taking that oil and, and consuming and taking out of that oil. And they said, what did they say to themselves? Come, let us build ourselves a city. We're going to plant ourselves right here. We're one language, one speech. We're just going to make our home right here in the way we want it. And we're going to build the city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Some people say, oh, they were trying to build the Tower of Babel to, to go up into heavens. He, they knew they couldn't go into the heavens. Many believe this uh, um, uh, um, Zergeret, which is what we know is, is what they're referring to. And we see historically they've uncovered a lot of Zergerets. But what it is is like a pyramid or stepping stones where they created so that they could go up. And every single one of they've discovered was for what reason? Religious pagan worship. You climbed up there and you worshiped, and they worshiped the moon god. They were worshiping multiple gods. So they weren't creating this to worship the god of the, of the creation of the heavens and the earth. They were creating their own god because they wanted to worship what they wanted to worship. And because they were one language, one speech, and in this case, one mind, the same mind, because they talked among themselves and said, we will build for ourselves a city. We are smart enough. We're intelligent enough. We can do this together. We do not need a God. We can create our own gods to live our life the way we want to live. And we'll build this tower. And let us make a name for ourselves. Do you see those key words? That is another translation, pride. We will let us make a name for ourselves. Not glorify God. Not let his name lift on high in your life. But I'm going to make a name for myself so people will focus on me. And not what God is doing 
true. And let us, let us, let's, lest, this key word, what was their motivation? Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They knew God said, you are going to be scattered and spread. And they said, I am not going to do what God said I was to do. And when you become disobedient to, toward what God has clearly told you you're going to do, you're in trouble. It's only a matter of time you are coming down. When you are fighting against what God has called you to do. But their flesh, their pride, what they wanted is control of their own lives and to dictate how their lives were going to be. And they wanted the city life. Don't tell me we're going somewhere else. We're, we finally got off this mountain or on this plane. We're going to create our own little life here and it's going to be great. Versus letting God move you to where he says it's going to be even greater. Because God knows what's best for you and how he's going to work in your life to refine you. We see the land of Sinar was a term used also of Babylon in Genesis here in 10.10. But present day Iraq, the multiplied descendants from the ark came together to build this great city and tower and rebellion against God's command to spread out over the entire earth. And we even saw that back in Genesis 9.1. Here we see the same spirit of globalism, world government, trying to have control. This is the same spirit we see today, trying to move across the nations. And they said, we're going to build this brick. We're going to use the asphalt. Using the baked br uh, bricks and asphalt of mortar, men built a tower that was both strong and waterproof, just like God used the asphalt to keep it waterproof for the ark. We see that also that Moses' mother used the same material, uh, that asphalt and materials, to waterproof Moses' basket in Exodus 2-3. But the heart of the issue is this. The heart and the materials relevant to the Tower of Babel show that it was not only disobedient to God's command to fill the earth, but it also shows man did not believe God's promise to never flood uh, the earth again. Because their goal was, how can we build something to lift us up, to worship whoever we want to worship, and this the God of moon, and get closer? Because this is a form of religion that happens even today. They call it Christianity at times. They can call it all kinds of different terms. But when man thinks he and she can do what she wants and he wants to do and build and to, to go to God, then they misunderstand it. That's called religion. You will work your way up. You will build your way up. And you will do what you want to do to worship however you want to worship God. But God says, no, no, no. I came to you. I'm coming to you. I'm reaching down to you. I'm going to pay the price and it's going to be finished for you. You cannot work your way up and build anything that's going to last to please me. And that's what they were doing. Building a false religion. Building their own way of how they're going to worship the gods that they wanted to worship. 
and not the true living God and just being simply obedient as God guided him to cover the whole land. So we see here this tower was real. The ancient Greek historian Herodias said the Tower of Babel stood, still stood in his day and he had seen it with his own eyes. Some believe it was eight stories high. That's a lot of brick. <laughs> That's a lot of brick and a lot of building. But it's interesting, when you take a look at those, you can see the same pattern all the way through many tribes across the entire world of the pyramids and the same pyramid structures and things down in South America and all across many, many different nations. You can see what took place there when people moved. Verse 5 of, of 11, but the Lord came down. Now, he didn't literally have to come down. He could see everything. But this, again, he's just putting in terms for, like, human terms. He, okay, I, something's going on over there. He's like your kids. Did you hear that? I think we should probably go over and check out what our kids are doing uh, outside. You know, let's go check this out. So in this case, the Lord said he came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So God is assessing the hearts of men. They're looking at the people and saying, they really pridefully think they've got it all together. <laughs> they got one language, they got one speech here, they got one mind, they have the same heart, the same motivation. And you, those people usually cling together. They find the other people who are just like they're like-minded and they stick together to do what they want to do. God can see it. But what's interesting is their heart wasn't right. So God said, I am not going to allow the human race, race to do what they did before the days of Noah. Which they went into the evil. If you do not be obedient to God and you do your own thing, you will go evil. You will go against the things of God. You will not, if you don't want anything to do with God today, I don't want this religion or I don't want to think this God. I don't want to do what this, the Bible says or what God's telling me to do. That's your choice. God gave you a free choice. But just understand the consequence of your choices. You will face a heart that will turn cold and hard and, and evil against the things of God. <coughs> you will clearly go against the things of God. Because your heart will only be able to do that. You must have a surrendered heart to God and a, a heart that was obedient to God so that you will stay following Him. If not, the world will gobble you up. Your flesh will take you to nth degree that you never even imagined you ever would do. And if you're young here today, I challenge you, speak with someone here that is 30 years older, 20, 30 years older than you. And I assure you, when they share their testimony of what happened in their lives, will tell you when they were in the teens, in their early 20s, they never thought they would do the things they ever thought they would do. 
That's the testimony. But then through God's grace, they'll finish their testimony and say, God changed my life. Amen? We never isolated our girls when they were young in the ministry. We wanted our girls as young as that possibly be, back to the, you know, before, you know, they were just, you know, dolls were the most important thing back in those days for them. But when they grew up through the high school years and in the young, we wanted them around the ministry. They wanted to see what and how the testimonies of lives of the people within the church. We never isolated them from the church. We never forsake the fellowship because it's through the fellowship that God uses to refine and encourage and to help people understand the consequences of sin, but also the blessings of following God's way. So I encourage you, stay plugged into the fellowship, regardless of how you feel, and allow God to use the people around you to help you in your walk, to encourage you to walk a godly life. Because that's how God works, regardless of how you feel. That's the key word. Let me say it one more time, because it's three times as usually people hear it. Regardless of how you feel, keep showing up. And watch how God will meet you right there. Amen? Amen. So we see this happening. But here in verse 7, look at this. Come, let us go down. In your Bible, it should be a capital U for us. That is the Trinity. That is key. If you do not have a capital U, then I would encourage you, maybe I can, when the bookstore would get you a different Bible, because you won't want to miss. Capitalize it if it's not, because it's talking about the Trinity here, and they're confused their language. Let us go, go, let us go down, and, down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city Verse 9, therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So we see here the personal character of the language indicates perhaps at that time God came down the form of a man in the person of Jesus Christ right here. Coming down to reveal himself and how he was going to, by his grace, save these people on this earth who were going against him. He says, I cannot allow the people of this land to go like they did before Noah. This time I'm going to intercede. I'm going to change their language, bring confusion within them so that they will scatter. So they're no longer able to be like-minded and they will not come together privately, think they're strong enough to just live a life apart from God. And so he brought that confusion. It caused them to scatter. And here we see how God moved people to cover the earth, just like he said needed to happen. Now, I read that. And I hope you are hearing that by the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. That if you're prideful enough to think you're in control of your life and you can live however, wherever, your life because you're in control, you are not understanding the scriptures. If you're a child of God, 
God is Lord and master of your life, which means he says to us where we're going to go and how long and how we're going to live. That's, he determines that. And it's good. We have a good, good father. Why would you not trust him in every aspect of your life? Because if you go against him as a child of God, God will intervene to, get him, to, to have us move in the direction he wants us to move. And it's almost always better just to be immediate obedience, not partial obedience, disobedience or partial obedience, but fully obedient and do what he's called you to do. But we see here that God intervened that these people who are anti-God, this dictator of, of Nimrod and bringing the people out of power and, you know, and forcing people to come and do and, and think they're in control and they know everything and they've got all the resources and all the human man logic ways to think they can just control their life. Yes, the time passed. Yes, progress was made. Yes, there was a government that God put in place to oversee, to keep the evil back. Yes, we saw an organization had been, yes, make, making man better off, but not better. So many times we see the progress in the things of this world, it makes you better off. You know, the microwave made it better off for you to turn things around. I like my coffee that has a little brewer, and within seconds I have my cup of coffee. Oh, I understand that. It makes it better off, but it doesn't make it better. You have a car. You're, you're better off getting to work in a car. The car doesn't make you better. There is a dis distinct difference. What we want God is to do a work inside us, an inner man, the inner man, to make us better to change our character of who we are, how we respond, and how we love others and love our brothers. And then we wrap it up in here. It says in verse 10, this is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old in the Brax era of Paxid, two years after the flood. And after he begot Arapaxed, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arapaxed lived 35 years and begot Selah. And after he begot Selah, Arapaxed uh, lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Selah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Selah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. And Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters, and Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Serug. After he begot Serug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters, and Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Sarag lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah, key, key person. Terah, after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. 
So when you take a look at these verses right here, we see a key thing that changed place. If you remember, as we studied before the, the ark, before the flood, how long were they living? They were in the 900s. They weren't having kids until they were 500. Now they're having kids in the 30s here, 20s. Lifespan drastically changed after the flood because of the ozone layer, because of the, infra, the, 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 uh, the rays from the sun and the climate control. Everything was a perfect environment before the flood. Now the elements of this earth are having a wear and tear on these bodies that God created. So the lifespan was shortening very drastically after the flood. But we see here in Genesis uh, uh, 11.26, the first mention of Abram. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me read it. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram. And Nahor and Re, uh, um, Haran, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. So, we see here Abram. Abram, or in his name God changed to Abraham, as you all know, is mentioned 312 times in 272 verses in the Bible. He is, without a doubt, the most famous man in the Old Testament and one of the most influential men in history. And he was the son of Terah. Again, Terah falling through the line through Shem. And we see that historically. Now, if you remember, Abram is a key man. And how did God view him? Well, we know that Abram is unique in the way that he was called the friend of God in James 2.23. Abram, your friend forever. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. Abram, my friend. Isaiah 41.8. I don't know about you, but having God say, friend, is a good word. So many times, oh, I, no, they don't want to be my friends. You want to be a friend of God, that's the most important. Men and women in the Bible are famous for many different things that we see. If you would just think about and just scan how Abram is great for his faith. He was a faithful man. Moses was a great lawgiver. Joshua was a great general. David was a great king. Elijah was a great prophet. Most of us know we can never be as great as these men and see in the scriptures. But don't, we don't have to be. We can be great people of faith and be friends of God. Can you sit there today and say, I'm a friend of God? Can you? Can you genuinely say that you're a friend of God? And if you can, you know the joy and the peace that you have with him. Because God dwells within you. If you have never experienced that peace, you've never experienced that joy, you, you can't, and you want to call God a friend, well, you can. Just surrender your life to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
There is no other way. We sing, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way. Don't be like a Nimrod. Don't be like those who are trying to build the, table, the, 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 the a tower of Babel. Don't be trying to create your own little tower for your own life and how you want to live it. I assure you in due time, that structure of your life will come crashing down because it wasn't built by God. And that means you're not on sound, a solid foundation. You're on sand, not on the rock. So we see here then, verse 29, that Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of the Abram's uh, wife was Sarai, what we call Sarah. And the name of Nahor's uh, wife is uh, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. So here we find, interesting, you know the stories, but it will continue, especially in, in starting in chapter 12. We move out of, this, of the creation, the fall of man, the flood, the Tower of Babel, the change of the nations, and we now move into another section of Genesis, the remaining of the 50 chapters. We start in studying four men. The first one we will study next, uh, next Sunday will be Abraham, but we will continue uh, through the, the book of Genesis here. But we see Abram's wife Sarai, or his, her name means contentious or was barren, unable to bear children, Abraham's name was means father. So how appropriate or inappropriate or kind of interesting the fact that, oh, my name's Abram. Oh, you're a father. You're, you mean you're, you're the father. You're a great father. How many kids do you have? None. <laughs> Think about that around a, a next uh, little gathering of the family, you know? <laughs> <laughs> have your family over. Oh, just me and my wife, you know. And how many times you're like, you have to say that to people. And people look at you and go, you don't have any children yet? You don't have any children yet? You don't have any children yet? But God is in control of every detail. And his timing is perfect. His way is perfect. And you can sit there and say, well, when God's will need to have a child, you will have a child. But you want God's will, not a man pleasing man. And as we see here, they had to take and deal with this, and it was very heavy, as you know, uh, in the story of, of Sarah having to deal with, and because of that pressure, worldly pressure, man, women's pressure, Abram, Abraham made a very bad decision, and we're still dealing with that in our, 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 in our world today. But because the name of Abram means father, it must have constantly amazed people. And as we sit here and look here, and then in verse 31, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from, from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So when we take a look at this at the very end of this chapter, we can see that Ab so Abram's story begins in the Ur of the Chaldeans or Babylon. We see that in Joshua 24, 2, describes Abram before the Lord called him. 
He was from a family of idol worshipers and was probably an idol worshiper himself, notwithstanding the Jewish legends who say that he wasn't. Because it was very clear his father and entire family came from a place where they idled worshipped. Now, some people say, oh, I can't be a Christian because I wasn't raised in a Christian family. That doesn't mean anything because I'm a testimony of that. I didn't even have a Bible and never read a, one word in a book called the Bible. I didn't even know it even really existed. I just know of it. I didn't ever experience it. But that did not stop God to speaking in me, making a choice to follow him. Yes, in my late 20s, early 30s, but not when I didn't have to grow up in a, ch uh, a Christian home to be saved. Here they worshipped idols, uh, idols, and God called Abram. Abram heard his voice, as we will continue in, in his story, and he believed God, and by faith he followed God. That's all God is asking of you today. If you do not know God, hear his voice, listen to his voice, and then choose to follow by faith, and you shall be saved. Believe who he is. And when we see here, here's the idol worshipers. Worshiping and God and Abram came from a family that was all about going against God. So if you were been raised in an ungodly home that didn't want anything to do with God, you still can be saved. There's still hope for you because it's a personal choice between you and God. It does not determine who your family is or was and has been. It only determines who you say Jesus Christ is. But we see here, interesting, that God told Abraham, as we will study, that he was to go out and leave this pagan community and to go to the land of Canaan. And he was calling him and his wife to go, and what happened? It's interesting, his brother chose not to go with his father, Terah. Terah must have heard, understood what Abraham said, that God said to him, and said, me and my wife are going. And Terah must have believed him and said, okay, we're going with you. But they didn't make it to the land of Canaan. They only went as far, about 500 miles, to Haran, and they dwelt there. Now, Haran, is it, was that city named after his son, or was it after the son named the, you know, the city? Whatever it is, that's where they went, and they stopped, and then the father, patriarch there, died at that location. He never made it to Canaan. And Abram was disobedient because him and his wife were supposed to go, and no one else, but he compromised. He didn't end up going, but he ended up having someone tag along called Lot. That didn't go well. So when we see here, as they take a look and move, in, as they moved across and they are going to dwell, go back, and you can see in Acts, Acts 7, verses 2 through 4, makes it clear the call of the Genesis call, we will see in chapters 12, verses 1 through 3, came to Abraham while he was still in that uh, pagan world of the, uh, the Ur of the Chaldeans. And when he received that call, he was partially obedient, and there are some consequences that came from that. That's why we need to be fully obedient and just do what God says to do and not question it. And when Abraham was partially to obedience and then there was a delay and there was a barrenness in the characteristics, there's consequences on him. If you remember, and we'll study his life. 
And it's, a, and it's a warning for you and I. If we're partially obedient, you will experience barrenness in your life. You will experience a dryness in your spiritual walk with God. You will find that the things do not seem peaceful. There's, no, there's not a joy. There's, there's something there. Examine what it is that's going on in your life because God may have given you, a, a, told you to do, give you a direction to do something and you didn't hear it or you're just being disobedient. Make the change. Go back to God and say, God, is there something that I'm, I, I'm, I'm missing here that I need to be hearing of? Just double check. But here we see that there was a dryness, there's a delay that didn't go all the way through. And heron uh, means parched or barren. And that's what Abraham and his family was experiencing. So in these first 11 chapters covers approximately 2,000 years of human history. The chapters 12 all the way to the birth of Christ will be the next 2,000 years. So you can see how much was cons uh, covered here uh, just in these 11 chapters. Noah's three sons left quite a legacy to the world, did they not? We can see it playing out even today in our world today, but the Lord of the nations was still his control. He was still in control, even with all of the things that we see played out in these two chapters, and as we will continue to see played out in the next four lives, of starting with Abraham, and it's because history is still his, his story. History is his story. It's his story. It will play out according to the word of God, and you must know the word of God. You must study the word. That's why we do verse-by-verse -verse teaching, because we want you the whole counsel of God. I want you to know his story and fall in love with him more than you've ever had in your entire life. Amen?